0: What customer was eating five years ago is completely different now. So you've got to stay sharp on that market front. Because food waste really starts at the farm, and then it finishes at the end of a scraped plate. This is the Food & Beverage Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry. Bringing you education, information, and inspiration. Only on market scale. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Food and Beverage Podcast brought to you by Market Scale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Folks, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the podcast. As I'm sure you've noticed, we've condensed some of our podcast shows on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. They are now under one umbrella called uh, Market Scale Radio for the most part. We also have Market Scale Manufacturing and Market Scale Technology. So, depending on the topic, it'll drop in those three different main channels for now. So go ahead and make sure that you're subscribing on those different channels, uh, both on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can also find more of our podcast article and video content at our website, marketscale.com slash industries. Our guest for the podcast today is going to be walking us through using technology in global food production and namely AI to guide strategic direction down to granular crop insights. As an industry, food production has more thoroughly integrated and relied on data points to inform crop health, yield, and environmental impact over the last several years. However, without proper methodologies for deciphering that data, it can become rather overwhelming and more of a burden than an opportunity for growth. So we're joined today by Alex Whitley, Managing Director at Arva Intelligence, to share some of his career experience on matching genetics to environment at scale using AI, and more broadly, giving us insights on how to cut through deciphering that data and how to strategize around disparate data points. Alex, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Doing wonderful.
0: Thank you very much. Looking forward to getting your thoughts on all of this. Um, So let's go ahead and get started. So how is data capture guiding agricultural production today, both for small local operations all the way to your largest uh, factory farming operations?
1: That's a great question and a good place to start. Technology has been applied to agriculture since a long time ago. So, think of the great jumps in agriculture. we can kind of start at the beginning. Think of uh, the difference between a horse and a tractor. It was a big jump, right? And it was an immediate return to the farmer, the producer. They knew that on day one, that tractor was going to be able to plant more crop than a horse. Okay. And then we moved to... Hybrids and GMOs. So now we're talking uh, about genetics. So, seeds that are specifically designed to handle things differently. Maybe they're designed to uh, produce better in a really wet environment. And maybe they're designed to produce better in a really dry environment and uh, drought conditions. And that was an immediate return as well. We know that these hybrid seeds, when they initially came out, were doubling and sometimes tripling the yield of a conventional seed. So adoption occurred universally, just like it did with the horse to the tractor. What we're getting in now, to the end of your original question, is data. So uh, what we think in modern times is technology uh, is, is data and the application of data and how are we using that. So I guess a easy example would be aerial imagery. So I spent uh, eight years working in the remote uh, remote sensing area specific to agriculture. So might take a satellite image and decide where the high and low performing areas in a field are based on a green to red index. Think of it as healthy or less healthy. And what you can do is plant seeds or apply fertilizer within those specific areas. Now we're getting into some higher tech stuff um, with the mention of that. The issue we're having uh, as an industry is there are so many data points to collect and all the new technology that's coming out is just introducing a new data point that is really hard to have the expertise and computational power to make use of that in these decisions at scale. So if I have one field to worry about, I might have the time to compile um, all these different data layers and do a whole bunch of work and, and and try to come up with a plan for that particular field. But when we're talking about um, these larger companies that serve farmers and provide services to them, they could be managing up to 10 million acres That could be, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of fields. They don't have that. It's not scalable. They don't have that level of computational power to make sense of the existing data, do something with it. And that's where we come in.
0: I think we need some more context uh, on what that data really looks like for agricultural professionals so how much data is actually being captured at agricultural operations across the world today if you had to quantify some of that or just qualify some of you know what the data metrics or uh main points are and then how does that data maybe differ geographically or by crop grown um that's not super essential but if you have that information offhand i think it would help uh, provide some of that global context
1: yeah absolutely so qualitatively, everyone's collecting data across the whole globe. And I can break that down into a couple of simple categories. So one would be soil data. That's a good baseline. Second is planting. So when you're planting, uh, we have information like what type of seed and how many seeds per acre you're putting into the ground. That would be planting data. Then we have applied data. So that means the, all the different fertilizers, And chemicals you're putting on the field, that data is being collected in forms of type of product and quantity. Um, And it's also geolocated, so where it's being placed. And then harvest. So you might have heard the, the term harvest or yield. So that data is being pulled off. That is how many bushels of a particular crop you're pulling off of the field per acre. So those are basically the four categories that all the data falls into. So your soil, think of that as like a foundation that doesn't um, change quickly. Planting, your chemicals and biologicals that you're applying during season, think of like a miracle grow, but on a really large scale, and your harvest and yield data. So those would be the four categories.
0: And then I'm not sure if you have any extra context on um, how some of that data capture changes geographically or by crop grown. And if, uh, you know, there are any specific crops that are leading the way here in the United States that are informing the kinds of data that need to be captured.
1: There's a there's a saying here in the U.S. that uh, corn is king. So your big rope crops uh, are corn, soybean Wheat, rice. We're dealing with all of those. When we're talking about the data that is being collected and you're siloing those into those four um, buckets I was mentioning previously, those would be the same for all crops. You have your soil composition, you're planting a seed to grow that crop, regardless what it is. You are treating that crop with some sort of chemical or biological, and you're harvesting that crop. Uh, of course, before you take it to market. Um, there are different applications and, and different data types that are more important for different crops and geolocations. So if we're talking about the Delta, for instance, down south, all of that ground is irrigated. And we talk about Iowa and Illinois and Indiana, where all the corn and soybean is grown, it's a, a much smaller percentage of that ground is irrigated. So that presents all sorts of management problems. How do we efficiently uh, manage a crop that we cannot control the rainfall, like irrigation? And what we're doing is we're taking all of this existing data for all of these crops and putting it uh, together, making sense of it, and giving um, these service providers and farmers the direction they
0: need. So, if you then had to track uh, what has been the biggest inhibitor for global crop producers to then take this rich data and use it to inform actionable strategy what would that track look like you know why has it still been difficult to strategize around all of these data points even for uh, maybe some of the larger producers if you can have that context available
1: that's a great question our current processes don't scale so uh, when folks who are not from agriculture are thinking about agriculture uh, and what farming looks like. They're, they're imagining a man and woman in a pitchfork in a, in a photo with a straight face. And that is not what farming is. Far- farming is highly sophisticated and the technology is on par with military. And so there's absolutely no shortage of innovation. We have so much innovation that the market is flooded with data layers because at the end whether we're talking about oh here's this cool new soil probe hey look at this uh really interesting uh monitor that you that that does uh, monitoring rain and weather and all of these things all those innovative iots if you will are just producing more data layers so the more data layers you have the less scalable it becomes until you um, apply that same energy of innovation into addressing the data problem. And that's exactly what we're doing at Arva Intelligence. We're the only agricultural company out there with this sole mission to ingest and make sense of all of this existing data, standardize on a common language, and then match these products that the farmers are already using to those environments.
0: Let's bring AI into the mix now, then. Uh, How are you seeing AI and machine learning being used already to try to sort through some of this data? And where do you see it succeeding? Where do you see it missing the mark? Uh, And that could be either in implementation, integration, or analysis.
1: Uh, AI and machine learning are hot button topics, and they're getting thrown around really loosely. A lot of what is out there is a fancy automated Excel spreadsheet. And that's not what we're doing. Successful implementations of AI in agriculture have really been specific to image recognition. So they're taking aerial imagery. So an airplane or a drone will fly over, take a take an image of a field, and then that image uh, is looked at by a machine that is trained to look at different shapes or anomalies. And then start categorizing, remembering, and then predicting. So um, once you you have an image of a field and say there's a particular weed and you tag it and the machine sees it 10,000 times, the machine can then start saying, okay, that is this specific weed in this field. Um, That is helping scalability of these images themselves. But we run into really specific problems um, at the field level that makes that less, less meaningful as how I've just described. The reality with imagery is fields are so big. When you're doing these high resolution image samples, the sample size of each particular acre that they're taking an image of um, results to about one and one thousandth representation of an entire field. That leaves a lot of room for error. But that leads into a data size problem. In the imagery world, we're taking data samples because we don't have the computational power to stitch all of those individual images together to make one um, mosaic image and run analytics off that. So what we at Art of Intelligence are doing is creating a machine learning engine that is powerful enough to ingest all of these different data layers that are out there and spit out the outcomes.
0: Could you give us a little uh, history on when AI and machine learning really started uh, being used at scale in agricultural production and not just being used, but actually seeing some uh, returns on the use of AI?
1: That is a great question. Um, I think we're just at the beginning. I think that the application of image recognition and anomalies. It was a great attempt. I think that we're still working on how to scale that from a data storage and processing perspective. Um, So we really are on the verge of machine learning being applied in the right way, Um, which is, again, what we're doing at Arva Intelligence. Um, For the past 10 years, I have been driving around meeting farmers and service providers and manufacturers from northern Ontario all the way down to Argentina. Covered a whole lot of miles and uh, and kind of seen it all there. And at the end of the day, no matter what country or what geography, every, every farmer has the same need, and that's just tell me what to do. I am not a data scientist. I cannot compile all of this data and make sense of it because guess what? I'm also an accountant, I'm a CEO, I'm an operator, I'm a mechanic, and every other, other thing that uh, a farmer has to do. They're really, really good at what they do. And where we're seeing traction in the application of AI is we're really uh, lifting the true pain point off. Most other tech offerings in agriculture require a culture change for that farmer or that service provider so it requires them to learn a new technology to physically put something together or go install it and go monitor it and go run it and that uh, multiplied on millions and millions of acres for instance um, there's roughly 300 million acres in the U.S. alone. It is just not scalable to manage that much hardware and that much data. So I've been involved with some incredible companies in agriculture, uh, agriculture tech. And what I f- feel like I've been doing until now is kind of sticking my finger in the hole of the bucket, uh, try, trying to just patch a little leak and, and not really... Uh, thinking outside of the barrel here. And the real problem that we're facing is we have a surplus of data and we have no way of assembling it, processing it, and p- producing the action items that these guys need to keep moving on.
0: So then if we're still in the general uh, infancy stage of AI at scale and uh, agricultural food production, how have you already seen it evolve to meet the data capture needs of the industry, even in the short time that it's actually uh, been shown to be of some use?
1: That is exactly why I'm here and uh, the whole team is working so hard every single day and inspired because we are already seeing a change. For instance, on our research farm uh, that we have down in Arkansas, we're talking 4,700 acres. That is not a large farm. It's about a medium-sized farm in the U.S. Our machine learning uh, identified half a million dollars we were leaving on the table. And how it did that was it took all of our existing data, came up with these areas within the farm, uh, the composition of the areas. So we're looking at soil types, biology, chemistry, texture, topology, uh, and, a, and a host of other uh, data points. And we're smashing all that together to come up with these microclimates of which then we can, we understand uh, why they work. So the novelty of our uh, machine learning is that we can create these microclimates and understand why they work the way they do. That's something that's not been done before. So in in understanding why that microclimate responds the way it does, then we can start matching very specifically the seeds chemicals and biologicals that will thrive best within that particular microclimate. We can do that at scale simultaneously because uh, because of our machine learning infrastructure. And that's where this is going to disrupt the entire industry in a really, really good way. A huge part of our adoption has been that we do not require any sort of a cultural or practice change from the farmer. The farmer is going to buy seed, chemical, biological, and they're going to harvest their crop every year, regardless what they do. We are just equipping the folks that are supplying them these raw goods with the information um, and the list of what to supply to these uh, folks, the farmer can go through the exact same process they're going through now. They're just buying the right seed for the right area uh, in their fields.
0: Before we start to wrap up the podcast, I'd like to get a little more info on what ARVA is doing specifically uh, in that evolution of AI technology for uh, strategic food production. Where does Arva fit into this future of AI for uh, crafting uh, these new ways to unpack disparate data points in food production? Uh, And if you don't mind mentioning uh, specifically some of the work you're doing in matching genetics to environment at scale using AI, I think that's a great example uh, of how AI can be used more strategically to really hone in data points and uh, gather some actionable strategy.
1: So right now, what is happening is, whether it's a, a new innovative seed or a new innovative biological, these are being tested in extremely small, controlled environments. Uh, when we talk about it in uh, just one field, you know, maybe a hundred acres, we're seeing these tests occur on a single row that might be 10 feet long. That was an unbelievably small sample size that the entire industry is based off of, of purchasing. So when a particular seed is marketed to a farmer saying this will give you an average of an eight yield bushel bump. but well, what you don't see is you have a 20% chance of losing 40%. And the other side of the graph is you have a 1% chance of, of a 40% increase. What our machine learning is, a, is able to do, and what we're, we've already proven for the past three years, is because we can assess through uh, our data work, we can assess these microclimates and exactly how they're performing and what they like. We can then go to the tails of that graph and go to those. Okay, here are these two outliers that are performing at 40 bushels above the average. We can determine why. So then we can grab that and recreate that at scale. So that's what we're doing. We're proving on a research farm. We are working with the manufacturers of these new and innovative seeds and biologicals and proving uh, exactly how and why they work so they can be marketed to the correct geographies and microgeographies. And that is how this, the global. Food production will be impacted in a positive way. We are not requiring these farmers around the world to do any different. We are just equipping them with the intelligence to do what they're doing uh, more accurately. If we can identify $500,000 worth of opportunity on 4,700 acres, imagine what that number looks like on 300 million acres in the U.S. alone. So you ask about the future and what this means for the future. We did receive a $3 million grant from the Department of Energy and the ARPA-E. We worked with them for quite some time. And we are working on the carbon markets. So how do you get, when um, we talk about sustainability, how do we get farmers to participate in sustainable practices that also equal profitability? Well, That's precisely what our machine learning engine is designed to do. It is um, optimized for profitability. And the exhaust of that often is um, sustainable practices. To take that one step further, when we're talking about, let's say, Illinois, for for instance, they're planting a crop in the uh, spring and they're harvesting in the fall. And then that field lays dormant until spring rolls around. So what we're trying to do now is encourage folks to plant specific cover crops, which we know sequesters carbon. Um, But our work is specific to quantify that carbon uh, sequestered and put a dollar value on it and create a market where these farmers can buy, trade, and sell their carbon credits. Uh, So we're creating an economic incentive for farmers to participate in sustainable practices, which will ultimately uh, drive uh, adoption and become common practice. So how that works is pretend you have a company in the energy space, say you're an oil and gas company, and you're only allowed so much uh, carbon pollution. Say you're, you're allowed 10 credits per year. Well, at the end of your year, your assessment, you have polluted 14 carbon credits, you would then have to go to a carbon market and buy four credits to offset your your surplus for the year. And that's how a farmer would get paid. We can quantify the carbon sequestered by their uh, sustainable farming practices, then they will be economically rewarded on a privatized market that uh, will ultimately benefit sustainability goals globally.
0: So, Alex, to go ahead and close out the podcast... Um... You've spent the last 10 years now working with just about every part of the global food supply chain, identifying how disparate and undecipherable data impacts food production. Could you share some examples of the different effects of overwhelming data on the different stages of the supply chain and why for global food production, emphasis on global uh, AI and strategic data usage are so essential moving forward.
1: What we have right now on a global scale is we have a data surplus without the computational power to drive product development, distribution, or placement. And this would be on the supplier side. And we have product proliferation without validation. And we have seed costs that are going up by 20%. On the grower side or the farmer side, we are promised that we have all this actionable data. Hey, keep collecting data, keep collecting data. But that promise has not been delivered. With the proliferation of products, uh, not knowing exactly how they perform and where they perform, we're getting this massive flood of products on the grower side. There's a lot of confusion. They don't know what to do. So their insurance policy right now, because it's the easiest thing they can do, is um, misapply their applications or overapply application, which leading to waste and and runoff, economic and environmental. And farmer profitability is down fifty percent. So we're really at a tipping point here where the suppliers are trying to do their best. The farmers are trying to do their best and everyone's collecting data and and no one is really winning yet. If we can, the missing piece is why do these products produce a yield in certain areas? Why do they not? Where are they going to work? And those are the questions that we answer. We're not requiring any bit of the participants of the supply chain to be the data scientists. Uh, We can take the data that has already been collected and summarize all of it into a common language. So that's what I'm talking about with the uh, microclimates. If we know where all the microclimates are and we know what products work in them best – then we can streamline the entire cycle. If we do it in North America first, then South America, then the rest of the world will catch on. We'll go North America, South America, Australia, and then it will get to Europe and Northern Africa. This is the missing piece. The why is the missing piece. And that's what we're solving for.
0: All right, Alex Whitley. I think that does it for our conversation today. Thank you again for your insights and uh, breaking down how AI is supporting the future of global food production. Uh, any final thoughts on the subject before we close out?
1: No, I really appreciate the time and encourage everyone to dive into agriculture, understand where your food is coming from, and understand that it's a big, giant, complicated system that requires a dynamic response and AI is the only way to solve this problem. So thank you very much.
0: And Alex, if people want to find out a little bit more about Arva Intelligence, some of the work y'all are doing, where can they go?
1: Go to arvaintelligence.com And all the information is on there, including all of our exciting projects we have working on, not only commercially, but uh, on the research side with the ARPA-E Smart Farm Department of Energy and the National Lab System.
0: All right. Fantastic. Alex Whitley, again, Managing Director at ARVA Intelligence. Thanks again for your insights on the show today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the podcast if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes or subscribe for upcoming episodes you know what i'm going to tell you make sure you're subscribing on apple podcasts and spotify you can also find more content of ours from a variety of different industries on our website it's marketscale.com slash industries you can find podcasts articles video content there and more and make sure you're also leaving a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content